welcome to the Amazing Truth Podcast, a podcast about real issues and real talk. And as usual, we provide a biblical perspective and put the Word of God as a central and most important ingredient. As always, I am joined with, by my co-host, Kafa Onyangore. And we are joined today by Pastor Ezra Kenyanya, a good friend of ours, a brother in the faith, and someone we all look up to for advice, uplifting, and spiritual nourishment. Pastor Ezra serves at the Kenyan Community SDA Church and has done extensive work in the youth ministry and prides himself as being young at heart. He is married to one wife. Pastor Ezra, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you, good friends of mine. Thank you. So, today we'll be talking about Adventism and social justice. I know we've um, seen in the news lately, um, especially in the wake of George Floyd's killing, um, that there have been calls on about social reform, social justice reform, police reform. We have some cities disbanding police, uh, police uh, departments. And today we just want to see what the church can do what the church is capable to do, what the church is doing, and so we can advance this uh, social justice advocacy. But before we begin, let me get your, your thoughts on um, what, what went through your mind when you saw the, the, the video about, uh, on George Floyd. For me, it was a little bit, um, not a little bit, actually a lot. It was disturbing. I... It took me two days before I could actually watch the entire video. Um, and I don't think I've ever watched it again. But the emotions, I, I cannot place one specific emotion. I was, I, was, I was hurt, I was sad, I was angry, I was uh, furious. Uh, and it was hard to just comprehend all these emotions all at once. It was very hard. There was a mix of fear, you know, as a black person. Uh, not only just for the fact that I'm a black person, but also the fact that um, I have siblings, I have friends, I have family. You know, I go to a purely African uh, church, uh, which also is at the center and the heart of everything in the sense that, um, you know, with why, with terrorism right now, people will target areas of... We've seen that in North Carolina and many other parts. So, a lot of emotions and everything that has been happening the last few years, or maybe even many, many years, for many years now. So, I cannot put that in one box of type of feeling, but I was confused with and overwhelmed with the variety of emotions and feelings. And Pastor Ezra, I'm with you in regards as to the mixed emotion aspect of it. Because something unusual, you don't see this on a daily basis. Somebody kneeling on somebody's neck for that long. And I remember it came up on my alerts on my phone. And I was shocked by it. Because I've never seen something that graphic. I watched the first two seconds and I closed out very quickly. You know how when you go in a bad site and you're not supposed to be in that site and you close out very quickly? That's what I did. Because I knew it would mentally scar me for the rest of my life. And I remember I came downstairs and I told my brother, Daniel, I'm like, Daniel, have you seen what's, what's going on with uh, this lynching that, that just occurred not too long ago in Minneapolis? He was like, yeah, bro, it's quite crazy. And uh, I felt as if 
that was my own sibling being kneeled upon for that long crying mom mommy i can't breathe get out my neck i can't breathe and it really hurt me knowing that for many years black people have fought for equal rights people like Frederick Douglass William Lloyd Garrison they fought for black people's lives and rights and now they're being treated in a bad way even worse than they did in the past and you're wondering why why is it that systematic racism so i was not very happy about it and i wish things could be could be different but i hope that later on we can learn from this and move forward thank you um i me too i was i think i was um i usually i usually go to twitter to get you know see what's trending so um i was on twitter that day and so george floyd minneapolis was trending so um so i i looked for the video and when i saw it i was you know i was like oh is this just another another black man dying and those were the thoughts that were running through my mind okay this is just another video it's another mod obri you know we've seen that a couple of weeks ago we've heard about brianna taylor so it's just this one of those videos but then it it wouldn't go away you know and um to me the video um it made me think and i think it made people think of reacting and i think this time the world reacted in a way that it's we haven't seen before and for 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 the first time me as an african person coming from kenya i was immersed into this journey of reform journey of anger and i want to say i'm saying for the first time because this time i mean maybe because it was home but then it it there was a different feeling about it. there was a different feeling towards change and towards everything that was going on so it made it made me think and the world reacted to that um now coming back to the church and coming back to you know social justice in the adventist church um we know that ellen white was a champion of um uh you know social justice and in the she, she wrote in the southern work that as you, as surely as god led the israelites out of egypt so he led the black race out of out of um out of slavery then to further note his continuing providence she added that it was his desire to work to work still further for them the black the black race and lead them to a know into a knowledge of his truth that is from uh, page 42 as surely as god was with the jewish had uh, the jews in the exodus and beyond so he was with black people in their emancipation and beyond it's a wonderful story to think that you know the pioneers of the church talked about social justice and they they championed it and i know we, we live in minneapolis and the 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 black church is very vibrant we have how many churches in the twin cities eight plus eight plus i mean eight plus african churches but there are other mm-hmm. you know, there predominantly are african exactly. churches so we've the black church has, is is playing and has played an, a very crucial role in the advancement of the ministry um but now the question is does the church have a moral responsibility to talk about social justice i believe they do because 
when it comes to situations of racism and be, people being treated in a bad way, it definitely needs to be talked about. It's like even if somebody's being disrespected or somebody's being treated unfairly, it doesn't matter if their race is different. We as a church community should definitely fight for their rights. Now, if you apply the racial aspect of it, definitely black people are treated in a bad light, right? And this systematic racism that comes around with it is this baggage that they have to face each and every day. And I believe as an SDA community, we should stand for them in prayer, in thought, in guidance, in love, in truth. And I believe Jesus even asked for us to be loving of each other because he gave us two commandments. I mean, he, can re he gave us ten commandments, but it can be wrapped up in two commandments. Love your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your might and also love your brother as you love yourself. So us seeing our brothers being hurt each and every day and doing nothing about it is not right. I'm not saying go and loot. I'm not saying go and destroy places. I'm not saying go and, go and kill. I am saying if you see your brother being treated unfairly, stand up for them. Just like how Jesus stood up for the people who needed help. There's a quote that I read once that says that it takes the right human beings to implement human rights. If you are not in a good place, good state of mind, it's hard for you to help someone else. And I think that if you are in the right state, and in this case I'm talking about being a Christian, Christianity is all about f standing up against ill and evil. You, now, you can contextualize that to your own life. You can think about that bully at school, standing up for that smallest kid at school who's being bullied. It could mean standing up for your younger siblings. It could mean speaking up against ill done towards your church congregation it's it, it's it's pretty much that's what christ came to do is to stand up against for us against the devil who was beating us left and right so if you are claiming or you and i do claim to be followers of christ we can't see someone going through some sort and form of oppression and turn the other way and side and assume that we we, we didn't see that so if that quote is true that i quoted then for me i'll rephrase it and say that it takes the right Christians to speak up against those who are oppressed. And I'm not saying that there's right or wrong Christians. What I'm saying is that true Christianity stands up and speaks up for others, no matter what the cost will be. And that's what Jesus did for us. He stood, spoke for us. He could have just forgiven us from our sins from heaven. But he came down to be with us, to speak. To, to you know. So I, I, I strongly believe that as a, as a church, as a Christian, as a people, we do have a moral authority. And that's why the Bible says that I was hungry. You did not feed me or you fed me, depending on which side you will be. I was naked. You did not clothe me. You know, I was in prison. You did not come to see me. Why? What's the principle of that? Is that you helped those who needed your help. And that is the sum of what Christianity is. Amen. So, and I know my, my next question would have been, so if we agree that the church needs to you know speak out about social justice and i think you answered it when you say that it is me as an individual christian to stand up and speak against those that are, that are oppressed so 
I shouldn't live in a world where I'm expecting the system to say something. Me as an individual should be able to speak up if I see any injustice going on. I should be able to voice it and be able to courageously speak um, against it. You know, Ken, a church is not a building. It's people. Me and you are a church. Me, you, and Ezra are a church. So that means when we go out to the world, when people see us, they see a church. Now, how are we representing that church? Because we say that we are Christians, right? We are followers of Christ. We let him go and lead, and we follow behind him like a shepherd. But are we doing what he would do? Do we ever ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? You see? You see somebody being spit upon. Do you say, oh, I'll pray for that person? You see somebody being cursed. Oh, God will save him. Or do we actually go and take that next step and care about them? That action. You know, compassion needs an action. You can't say, I am a compassionate person and I have no action to show it. That means we have to be kind. We have to put ourselves in other people's shoes. Because people go through a lot. And we can't just sit back and say elders would you know, do an event where they feed the people or they help the people who are in need. No, we need to go and actually do it. And that's the only way we can see change. We have to be the change. Exactly. So this all has to come down to ourselves. Not pointing fingers. What can I do? Pastor Ezra, what can you do? I know you're a leader of a church. But what can you do now? To change people's lives good question Kefa. i don't think i have a full answer <laughs> to that but i'll share you know a couple of things i think let's I, I like what Kefa you have said is that a church is not a building a church is it's it's not even a, a church it's you the church it's you and i i am the church we hear that phrase i am the church be the church be the be the salmon we talk about that so i i agree with you on that what I think we struggle as an institution or a body of Christ is that I don't think, and, and they could be, I'm not saying that 100%, but I think majority and most of the people believe and trust that we need to speak against oppression. I think what I have learned in my experience is that the struggle is that most people don't know how to express and speak. And, and because of that, we've allowed the world to show us how we need to speak and what that aspect of speech needs to look like. So when I am looking at the, the case of George Floyd, and I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm sad, but I'm like, what can I do? And you, then you realize, I can't loot. Then you realize, what, ab what's, what about civil disobedience? Can I participate in that? Then you think about, I need to protest. Then you think about all the protests you've ever seen in your life. And how they ended. And as you start thinking about this, you realize that all the examples you're looking for, all the examples you're looking at, they, they, they almost put you in a place where you feel like you're contradicting your faith and what you've always known your entire life. So I think what really happens is that people feel the pain. They feel the, the frustration. They want to do something. But as a Christian, as a church, as a people, we have not modeled what that looks like. And so when those few Christians want to speak out, they look like you guys are wrong because they're lumped up with what the world does. And maybe they've borrowed from what the world does. So I think that 
the challenge that we need to be talking about, what we need to be focusing now is to say, what does it look like for a Christian to speak up when someone needs them to speak up for them? Or let me say it differently. How can you be a Seventh-day Adventist, who, which is a denomination that is a Protestant denomination that's protesting? Now, being a Seventh-day Adventist is all about protesting. What are we protesting against? But now you're saying, I can't protest. Then you're not a Protestant. And if you're not a Protestant, you're not an Adventist, then where are you? So you can't claim that title, then sit down and say, I don't protest. That's an oxymoron. So the question is, how do we express ourselves? And I think it's a, it's a, it's a principle across the board, I'll say. You know, you go to a wedding. And people say Christian weddings need to look differently. But you look at how do we model that after party, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> there is no how that we've seen in a wedding. Or you go to a funeral and you say the Luo culture or the black culture, or the white culture, these how they do it. But what does that Christian culture look like in that aspect of funeral? So I think that's where practicality as Christians we struggle. We know the, the knowledge, we know the, the word, but now how to show it is where we struggle. And I'll, for this segment, I'll finish by saying what we fail to realize is that Christ has called us not to uniformity, but to unity. I don't need to be doing what you're doing for me to look like I'm protesting, but I need to figure out who I am and what the Spirit is impressing me and how I can express myself. And as I, you do your part, Ken, Kefa, you do your part, I do my part, we come as a body of Christ, it looks like a holistic aspect of what Christ wants us to do because we are a body of Christ. You can't function by yourself. So Pastor Ezra, he, he, historically, though, when, you, when you say we, we, we don't know the how of, of how to, to, to go about protesting, historically, what has the church done, to your knowledge, to, to give us the how? I think you can go back to a lot of uh, scenarios and stories that have happened. And, and maybe this, someone should do a thesis on this. I'm asking myself, what, what did the church do in uh, Rwanda when there was a genocide? You know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, in South Africa, uh, in South Africa, Africa yeah. right? When when I start thinking about nations like those, those are recent ones where you, most of us can even almost try to comprehend. So even though we're younger, it's within our time. Time, you know, uh, it's it's very recent to us. So I I think when we start looking back, the story in Rwanda is there is this Adventist guy and I forget his name. He was working for the UN, and when they were being pulled out. He said, I can't leave. He was the only white guy who remained in Rwanda. And after the whole genocide, he's the only he's the he was an Adventist who became a role model where he was going around speaking about what Adventism should do. So for when you go back, you look at stories of people like him. Yeah, probably find a name, maybe you put in the podcast. I, 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 didn't, I can't remember his name. Uh, think out, look, look at what Ellen White did. Do you, let's go back to the history of Adventist church, Adventism. It all grew out of emancipation. You know, in the 1840s, before 1844, when we talk about the uh, whole uh, great disappointment, there's one guy who later on became the pioneer of the church uh, who stood up and said, we can go to heaven and leave these black people here. And that became his entire mantra. Think about Oakwood University. How did it come to being? It's because the blacks of that time wanted to go to a school, but the Adventists realized that there was no institution for them. And the pioneers of the church, uh, Ellen White and the rest, they spoke for 
the need to start institutions like those. So it, what does that look like? Do we need to start institutions right now that will speak against people oppressed? We need to think about that. Do we need to start uh, organizations that will focus and work on people uh, uh, who are marginalized? We need to think about that. Uh, so when we start looking at, lest we forget our, our history, then we will not know where to go for our future. So let's look back in our history. Look at Ellen White, what she did. Look at the pioneers when they did about the emancipation. Think, look about the establishment of Oakwood University. Look about the brother I've spoken about in Rwanda. There are so many. Look at, look at Moses. Look at Jesus. Look at the Bible. You see all these guys speaking up. There's plenty of principles. Maybe we're not reading the Bible enough to plug and pull from those principles and implement them. And I believe that's very true because all these things that happen in our lives are for a reason. You know, this racial inequality that's occurring right now is happening because of a reason. And we know that reason is sin. However, we don't fight fire with fire. And I think somebody said that very clearly that fighting fire with fire will not burn out the fire. It will increase it. And you've said it very clearly. You have to research. How do you go about, you know, doing this activism? How do you share the word of God in the correct way? How do you bring people closer to Christ in the right way, but also fighting for what's right? Because at this day and age, we need that type of guidance. Because even I see my youth, they're like, they're all fired up. Let's go. Let's do it. But they don't know that there's a way to do it. You know, and Jesus gave us that template. And many other people have given us that template. Moses did. So we need to start researching and do our own due diligence to figure out how we can go about this. I don't have all the answers, Ezra. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think the hardest thing is this, honestly, is, is that we have to acknowledge that we're human beings. So we come with our biases. We come with our assumptions. The way I'm going to react to a situation might not be the same how you're going to react based on the experiences that you have faced. What I have a problem with is when I'm not an African-American. I was born in Africa. So if you talk about oppression, I'm thinking about colonialism. I might not relate everything with my African-American brothers, but I know the principle of oppression based on where my country came from and where we are, right? So I will not express myself as an African-American brother because that's not me. But I might do something that maybe something that I experienced and I've seen that works. Or then you look at a Caucasian who comes from a family where there was slavery in that family. But now they've seen the light and they want to be out there. But man, this protesting thing is not for them. <laughs> but they're there because they want to support versus maybe for them we could have been, I'm going to donate towards a, an organization. And I'm going to give good money towards that to fight against this. And that's my contribution. But you know, some people look, if you're not with us in the streets, yeah, not, then you're not, not protesting. Not enough, yeah. if, and someone else will say, this thing is so bad. I'm going to dedicate my rest of week and I'm going to fast for seven days and pray for George Floyd's mom. That's protesting. But you know, I'm not seeing that. I'm not hearing that. So I might point fingers and say, what are you doing? You know, you, you're not coming out with us at night. Then you might so so when we start putting people in our shoes and want them to react like us, then we miss the mark. People protest, but they protest differently, and that's something that we need to constantly remind ourselves that you need to do your part, but do it faithfully. 
Yeah, in, in 1891, uh, Ellen White delivered the historic presentation on our duty to colored people. And one quote that came from that is that she says that it has become fashionable for the black people to be oppressed. It was, it was a norm. So she, 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 calls on, she calls it out. And one thing that struck me is her son, James uh, Edson White, starts the ministry and she travels down the Mississippi and ministers to the black congregations. And that's where various magazines started. The Gospel Herald, it started. Uh, when you mentioned about magazines, um, Oakwood Industrial School started during that time. And the, even some, the Underground Railroad, you know, was, was, was uh, some Adventists. J.N. Andrews' father, who Andrews University is mentioned after, he was hiding slaves in his plantation during this time. He was a white guy hiding slaves because he didn't believe in, in oppression. So when we talk about the Adventist church is not doing anything, let's not talk about the Adventist church is not doing anything. Say, I am not doing anything because those brothers were risking their lives in that time. Ellen White was a woman. So you're already coming from a place where you're disadvantaged as a woman and then you're a white woman and you're speaking against these Ill, you know, ills that are taking place in the society and the culture. So because people don't have that understanding, they feel like, oh, what about that one quote? Then they will take a couple of quotes. Some of the quotes you hear is uh, Desire of Ages, page 509, where she says, Jesus Christ never sp stood up and spoke against, you know, political, uh, um, you know, classes. He never, you know, he didn't fight with the government of the day. Pretty much I'm paraphrasing that quote. In the book Testimonies of the Church, volume 1 and volume 6, there are some two other quotes that are used against that. Now, you have to read everything in context. What is she saying and who was she writing at that time? And what she's saying in that desire of ages, what she's saying is this. Listen, Jesus knew that he did not come to die for, for just a few. He came to die for everyone. So anything that was going to curtail his mission on earth, he was going to avoid it. But if you go look in any other places, Jesus speaks against ills. He's sitting with tax collectors. He's talking again, uh, for, for the adulterous woman. You know, he's talking with the Samaritan woman who's an outcast. You know, you can't mingle with, uh, with a Samaritan if you're a Jew. So there's a lot of boundaries that Jesus is actually breaking. But in these very specific cases, like if you go to the story of Jesus healing at uh, Peter's mother's house, in the morning, they come back with more people who are sick. And what does Jesus say? I did not come for these. He leaves all those sick people at Peter's house and goes to another city. You come when, when, when uh, he raises uh, Lazarus in John chapter 11. Immediately in verses 53, the council of the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, they want to kill him and he disappears. Why is he disappearing if you're going to die after all? Because his time had not come. So people misquote these quotes in the Bible. People misquote what Ellen White is saying and they forget stories like the one you're saying. Forget people like J.N. Andrews. They forget about Oakwood and the history of Oakwood. And there's a lot of research along those lines. I would recommend anyone to read the book called uh, Enduring the Legacy of Ellen G. White. It's a powerful book because it talks about all the, the social... Uh, his, he, Ellen White and social justice and how she approached that. And I have a quote here. From Ellen G. White from the Gospel Herald and it says sin rests upon us as a church because we have not made greater effort for the salvation of souls among the colored people so Ellen G. White was living in a time where slavery and also racial prejudice was prevalent the late 1800s those are the time where people were fighting for equal rights so even at those times 
she still fought for what's right because she was guided by the Bible. So when people read Ellen G. White's quote, like you said, they bring it out of context. They forget the time she was living in. She was not living in this time where we have more freedom. She was living in a time where there was racial prejudice. The laws were stacked against the black people or the colored people in a whole. And even she, she knew that the only way we can move forward is if we remove the sin of, of being evil against the colored people. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12 to 17, the Ten Commandments, um, we see the civil law which God gave to govern, you know, social relationships and, you know, established institutions that would ensure order and kind of maintain the social justice. So in the, in the Old Testament, you know, it outlines some of the, some of the societal order, you know, and the institutions that are established to, to govern and bring about social order. But one thing that is interesting in the, in the New Testament, um, what, I got, what I get when I research about that, it says Jesus came to spread his love. And he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So you wouldn't kill your brother. You wouldn't stand aside when your brother is being killed. You know, so to establish that love, and I think we have to go back to love. You know, God is love. And if you understand that he came to die for us and what that entails, you wouldn't kill your own brother. You wouldn't stand aside when your brother is being killed. So I think we have to go back to, to discipleship, you know, and am I my brother's keeper? You know, some, something like that. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's very true, Ken. Listen to this quote, Southern Walker. She says that, she says that, um, seen I'm reading the wrong one. Oh, uh, yes. Let us do what we can to send the class of laborers who will work with Christ's name, who will not fail nor be discouraged. We should educate colored men to be missionaries among their own people. We should recognize talent where it exists among the people, and those who have the ability should be placed where they may receive the education. Uh, there, and, and then another quote right up there, she says something to the extent of um, Jesus died for both white and black souls. See, when you become a Christian, you don't see black or white. You don't see male or female. You, you see a soul. So when, when you look at George Floyd, any human being, assuming, let's do this, let, let, assuming it was, let, let's, 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 let's um, look at it from this perspective. Assuming you, you, saw, you heard the video, but it was blood, you could not see the color of George Floyd. What would the reaction be? It's not the skin that makes it. It's the fact of how he died, right? So that should not be happening to any human being. But then that also is tricky because then comes, are you saying all lives matter? (laughs) Or black lives matter more? What are you saying? Then you see that debate raging right now. But but before we go there, let's look at it like this. If that scene is, is played in front of any human being without putting a race behind it, any human being will be disgusted. But now when the skin color is put there and you find yourself not caring more, then you need to check yourself. Then you really need to check yourself because now what you're saying is that the skin color lessens the importance of this person. What is being done is wrong, but at least it's not a white man. At least it's not this. 
So what we have to go fund fundamentally first is to realize that that is purely sin. Thou shall not kill. That command does not come with race, does not come with X and Y, Z. But somebody put it this way. Why black lives matter? Should we as Christians be involved in that? What are your thoughts? I'm interested to hear that before jumping. People throw this statement, and I think it's true that all lives won't matter until black lives matter. That And that will be my thought. A couple analogies that I, I ha I've heard recently that have really helped me reshape my perspective about that. The fact is that all lives matter. That's a fact. But in a situation, I'm going to use a worldly example that I had, then I'm going to use a biblical example and then bring this home. In a situation where we're in your neighborhood here, Ken, thank you for inviting us here, and one of the houses catches fire, you call 911. Where should they be going? To the house that is burning. But what if I stood there and said, all these houses here matter? You need to check these houses first <laughs> before you see that house. You see, it's not that these houses don't matter. It's that that house is the one that's on fire right now. And we need to go and help that. What we're saying is that it's not that all lives don't matter. But there seems to be a systemic injustice to one house in this case that is burning. That we need to look at that. Or let me put it this way differently. Christians will understand this much better. This is like the parable of the lost sheep. There is 99, but all of them, a hundred of them matter. But in that story, one was lost. What did the owner of the, the, the sheep do, shepherd? Is it that these 99 didn't, didn't matter as much? They didn't matter to him, but what did he do? He went out and got the one that was lost and brought it back home to the fold. At that very moment, that is the one that he was focusing on. It's not that all lives don't matter. But what we're saying is that there is a systemic injustice that as a church, as a people, as a world, today is black folks. But tomorrow, you know what it will be? It will be Adventists. Maybe all the denominations against Adventists. Or in another place, maybe it will be women who are being oppressed because of their gender. Or at that point, you'll have to speak for that specific cause that is happening at that very specific time that was going on. So black lives do matter. So... Gentlemen, what is a black experience in church? What's a black experience in church? Well, I'll say this, Ken. I've lived in the church all my life. And first I was born in Kenya, where, you know, I really didn't know much because I came here when I was seven. But coming here when I was seven, I was coming to church where I just come in as a ritual, you know? It's not something that I think about. I just know Saturday I wake up, I eat breakfast, I go to church. But now as I grow older and I get more involved in church, I see what's happening around me, you know. I see, it's like I have a more clearer view of what's going on around me. The elders, what they're doing, uh, the other churches, the white churches. And, you know, you, you get to realize there's some kind of imbalance in the way the church is set up. Or I should say the SDA church, because I'm SDA. I don't know which church you go to. But, me, I'll speak upon SDA churches. I will say that, yes, there is a type of imbalance. Whereas, even my church as it is, we may not get the same treatment as other churches. right? 
we may not be treated fairly, but at the same time, it's the way that it is. And you know, I always talk to my dad about this, but he always tells me, Kafa, relax. No church is perfect. Even if you go to a Catholic church, they have their problems. So all churches have problems. It's what can you bring to that church? Or why are you going to church for? Are you going to be saved? Or are you going just to have a good time and hang out with your friends? Because at the end of the day, we're going there for a mission. That's to bring yourself closer to Christ and also others to Christ. So yes, being black in church, there are some problems. There's some mishaps, but that happens. But now what can you do to move forward? Good question. <laughs> uh, what, what does it look like being black in the church, in the Adventist church, as Kef has put it rightly? I think that um, I, I do agree with your dad. <laughs> the church, I say this, I think the church should be a rehab. And I'm not saying a rehab like, I think that we should open church in such a way that people who are going through rehab, that's why they come. People, whatever rehab, whatever struggle you're going through. Because it's a bunch of sinners who have come together. Just imagine all of us, if we were to stop pretending and show our ugliness attached that Sabbath, for one Sabbath, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be a zoo that has no, you know, because we're struggling with sin. But what we also have to be real and practical and say is that, especially here in the U.S. and some countries maybe like South Africa where there's apartheid and everything, it can be hard. In Europe and other places, it can be hard. I remember coming here and attending uh, a church that was predominantly white. It felt like I was out of place. You know, it felt like I didn't fit in. Now, we have to agree that culture plays a huge role. You know, in Africa, church is a whole weekend event. <laughs> if you're in an African setting, right? But then you go to a Caucasian church at noon, they keep time, they're done. That's when we are starting our divine. So there's a lot of cultural mission. But I, I, there's, there's a feeling, my, my spiritual dad tells me his experience. When he came first to North America, he went to this church and the deacon at the church shook his hand and said, brother, come let me show you the church you're supposed to be at. And he took him a few miles to another black church because this was a white church. You just came from Africa. And you've gone to church. And you're being shown another church. But you know him being who he is, stubborn as he is, he followed the deacon back <laughs> and went back to that church. But, but that's the experience. But I want to flip it and say sometimes even we, black churches, don't make other people feel welcome. They don't have to be of our race. But whatever race it is, how we conduct service. So for me, the ideal church, if I was to do the ideal church now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw, I'm going to say this, but I pray the Lord will have mercy on me. You know, the church that I go to is, is known by the nationality. So when I reach out to my friend and he's like, what church do you go to? I don't even want to say the church I go to. I want to I say the initials. I go KCC. Because the moment I start saying what K stands for, like, oh, it's only for Kenyans? But then if I look at my members, they're going to say, man, this is where I feel at home. And I understand them. But the church that I've had the most best experience has been the most diverse church that I've been to. Where people don't say, in Kenya we do this. You know, we as black folks do this. Or we as white folks do Because you don't have a predominantly culture there. So what ends up happening is saying, I don't know your culture. You don't know mine. So what does the Bible say? 
and it just naturally brings you back. So I will encourage you, Richard, to strive to be more diverse rather than striving to put an ethnicity, nationality behind it. Uh, I know that's, that's politically not correct to say in some communities, but it's the reality if we're going to go to heaven. Speaking of politics, um, is there the, the reluctance of, uh, I'm talking about a separation of church and state. Now, is that, that statement in itself, is that what's stopping the church from engaging in social justice? Because they say, okay, if I, I don't want to choose sides, because if I go for Black Lives Matter, I'm leaning towards Democrat. If I go to this other side, I'm becoming a Republican. Is that what is making the church to be reluctant in engaging in social justice advocacy? I think it does play a role. And I want to play this out this way. You're a church conference leader. And you're looking at a constituency. And you're saying, will my participation add value or devalue the work that I'm about to do? Will it bring greater cause? Or will it dampen or even hinder the work that I need to do? But the question of that is, what work? Is it your work or is it the work of the Lord? Because if you or we as leaders of the church were guided by that, there are many things we want to do. There's so many things you want to do. So it has to come back to one question. What is correct in the eyes of God? And there are moments where correct will mean that you go against the people you're leading. But with wisdom, with wisdom, let me put it differently. I always hear these terms, conservative, liberal. I've never read those terms in the Bible. So I don't know where people get those. I don't know who defined those. And whoever defined those, he never left the rules behind for us to read them. So you know what? I've been branded conservative. Why? Because people come and we're gathering, we're having food, and they're like, you're a vegetarian? Man, these are those conservative guys, right? Because I'm vegetarian. But then I go to another setting, I'm like, man, I'm taking my milk. Pastor, you still drink milk? You're liberal. Like, so where do I fit? So it's, it's one of those things where we, we have to get to a place and say, it's not about separation of church and state. It's about what does the Lord require of me right now to do and what is right. And there are moments where it's going to be speaking against what most majority of people think and go with it. And I think it has come to a point where you ask God for the Holy Spirit to guide you. Because politics, there's a lot of things that go into it. I know, I know we see Trump every day, you know. <laughs> Whether you like it or not, you hear about Trump. And you speak about Trump, I mean, because you have to at times. But it's all over. But we do know that we have a constitution, which is the Bible. That is a constitution. That is what we abide with. So last week I, I talked about God's system is above all systems. Yes, the world has its own system, which is politics. Let them do their politicking. Us, we're following what God is saying. Because at the end of the day, God will come back here. I mean, we'll, in the judgment day, he will ask, what have you done? And then it'll be you and you'll be you and the Lord just face to face. And then well, what are you going to say? Actually, you'll die because maybe you were too sinful. You can't stand in front of his glory. You see? So at the end of the day, we have to be led by the Spirit. And when it comes to making decisions, think about the Bible. You know, go back to the Word. Search the Scripture. And I know you may be listening to this and you're like, oh, the Bible doesn't make sense. It, it never made sense to anybody who's beginning to start, start reading the Bible. It never makes sense. It takes time. It takes you to ask God to give you the Holy Spirit for it to make sense. And He will give you that guidance. Like, here's the next step now. 
fight for this right. Love your neighbor. And that is a justice we need to fight through the word of God. And to be honest, Jesus took sides. He took sides. God took sides. When the Israelites were being oppressed, he said, free my people. So he took sides. When So we have to take a stand and boldly take sides when it comes to oppression. So we'll finish with two things. And I, want, I wanted to touch just for Ezra, Pastor Ezra talk a little bit about you organized a rally in the Twin Cities just recently. Uh, and Kefa, you were part of that as well. So maybe in a few, in a few minutes, just tell us how, how that, that experience was, how the church uh, embraced it, if they did. And just give, give us a little snippet of how that experience was. I, are you sure you want us to go there? <laughs> but let me say this. It was the most powerful thing that I've experienced so far this year. And I'm not saying that because we did it together. It's not we. It's, it was a grassroots <laughs> movement of young people. Here's why it was more powerful. It's not because we did that. It's what it actually did to me. It really, those two weeks, I prayed more than I've ever prayed in the recent years. I think the last time I prayed like that was when I was looking for a wife. Like, I really, really prayed. And the reasons why I was praying, number one is because it was, it's, I've never seen it done before. So I didn't have a template. I didn't, we didn't know how. Number two, there's liabilities. You take some young people there, something happens. Then all that blood is on you. Number three, what will the church members say? I'm human still, as much as we're convicted to do it. I was afraid of what people will think and say. And what side will I stand after that? Number four, I was nervous because we didn't even have any resources. Number five, I didn't want to get into politics, both with the church and with the world. But there are a couple of things that, are, couple of things that inspired me. Number one is, I saw Gile, you know, the student leader for University of Minnesota, speak up and be in all these interviews. And the one thing that came to my mind is that that young girl is an Adventist. What if she could speak also of her faith as she speaks about this? That's a platform. She did an amazing job, phenomenal job. Praise be to God to her. But as a leader at the back of mind, I'm thinking, I'm saying, Daniel, Joseph, looking at these young people who stood up during their times and changes they made. I saw Oliver Nelson from Southview speaking up for one of the, who was the lawyer of one of the people who was filming that, Adventist. I spoke to other young people. I was like, my goodness, young people are already doing it. That inspired me. Number two, my young people at church said, and Kefa, you probably say, say, I had you say the same. They were going out there protesting. So I started getting calls from parents like, it's 8 p.m. There's a curfew. My son is not bad. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? And then at that point, it started dawning to me that, you know what? If we don't provide guidance, this thing is going to get out of hand quickly. What amazed me most is that I spoke to one young person who was out there, Saturday, uh, whatever, one night protesting. Then the following day, I called them. I'm in Minneapolis cleaning. So you burn at night, you clean during the day. <laughs> I'm looking at this. These young people want to do something, but we have not spoken to them. So we called young people. We met, you know, the union was very supportive. Pastor Roger Wade, you know, we had this call at... Um, through Zoom and we talked. and some young, So what we had started doing at cases is that some of the young people there we met and we started talking and we had itemized a few things that we could do. And so we had four points. So we presented this to the union. The union's like, let's do it. 
And that was the first thing that the union really embraced it. Mid-America Union, Pastor Roger Wade really pushed it. That was a blessing. So the church was, was highly supportive of that. What I want to say is this. The next lesson that I learned is that people protested differently. So as I was having discussions with young people, say, I want to do something, but I don't know what. Then I remember having a conversation with a young person said, for me, what I, li I like doing is praying. And I said, can you organize prayers for us? And that's how we did 10 days of prayer, praying for the rally. That's that young person expressing themselves. We had another young person, Nikita and, and the team. They said, we love doing community service. So how can we get this work? They coordinated the seven stations that we went out to do community service. Kefa, you're one of them. You're out there with the community service. We had Kefa and Mondi and the rest. They're out there saying, you know what? We can organize secretary, coordinate things behind the scenes. They were making all their calls, whatever. So every young person found who they were and they played that role. So I think for me, what I learned out of that was on that Saturday morning, we had 450 t-shirts all gone. And I'm like, so we have 450 young people literally here and others don't have. And, and, and as we went out in the community, then the testimonies that were coming out of that. Now, the other thing is that the t-shirts that we had at first, to be honest with you, when I saw the t-shirts, I'm like, Lord have mercy, <laughs> you know, we can't breathe and everything. But then I remember the statement of Ellen White that she says that, Though we as Adventists don't celebrate the Christmas, don't celebrate Christmas, it is a time when the entire world is in a mood where they, they are likely to receive and hear more about Jesus Christ. So you take advantage of that. When we went to the streets, what I learned is that those t-shirts became the, they were attracting people. Who are you guys? What are you doing? So we had the canvassing team out there. So it was a blessing to be out there in the afternoon. Maybe let me ask Kefa to speak about the protest because it was out there, like what they call the protest, Adventist protest, if I can call that. How was that experience and what, what, what was that like? I think it was a good experience because we didn't go there to cause havoc. We didn't go there to just cause a scene. We went there to show support, provide hope, just to provide Jesus Christ in our lives. In, and impose that into their lives as well because at the end of the day we didn't go there for an agenda like you know we're gonna go and march and you know this lives black black lives matter you guys have to do it or else step out of the way we didn't come there with that assertive nature we came there actually singing we are marching to zion beautiful beautiful zion so that means we went there to provide them hope and love and I talked about earlier that Black Lives Matter. And don't misquote me like people do to Ellen G. White. <laughs> <laughs> Brother, you already said it. I didn't say Black Lives Only Matter. Right? Because people are thinking we're just honing in on black lives. No, 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 no. It's just right now. Just like how it was back then in Ellen G. White's time. Black Lives Matter. And I'm not going to say be equal. I don't know how that looks like. Well, I don't have the blueprint to say this, what, this person now is equal now. Now you guys can, you know, stop fighting. There has to be a time that we have to just face what is right. And if, even look at this example. The Good Samaritan. Saw somebody beat up on the ground. And he was walking. And actually, the, there was a priest that walked first. And then he was like, oh man, I'm late to church. Let me go to church. I'm late. You know, the clock is ticking. I need to go and sacrifice. I'll sacrifice some, you know, some rams for you or some goats for you. And then there was a Levite that came. Same exact thing. Walked by, was too late. And then the good Samaritan, somebody who did not know God, stood up for what's right and went and paid for that person to be healed. So that's a, 
just a biblical concept of what we're doing now. We don't want to pass by. It doesn't matter what they did. It doesn't matter what. It doesn't matter if you were a dr- drunkard, you drink, you smoke. I don't care about that. I care about you, and I want you to be with me in eternity in heaven. So what am I going to do now? I'm going to love you, whether you like it or not. There's some people who are unlovable, Ken. <laughs> There's some people you talk with them and you're like, man, this person cannot be saved, man. Put this person in jail. <laughs> but it has to come to a point that you're like, you know what? I love this person. Because, not because of who he is, because he is human and God called us to do that. So that is a whole concept, even why we did the rally. We're just not going to pass by. This happened in our backyard in Minneapolis, 20-minute drive. We love them. We are here for you. We care about you. And we will not stand by as a community of youths, SDAs who love Christ. Just because we love Christ, we're not going to stop and not do anything. We're going to treat you how we treat our fellow brethren and sisters. And if I can piggyback on what Kefa is saying, I think, I think it's important for us to realize that Everyone is different, and they're going to express themselves differently. There are people who didn't come because they thought we were going to throw stones or whatever it is, and rightly so, because we've never seen that before. And there are people who love that, and if that's their conviction with God, I think we have to let the Holy Spirit do its work. It's not our place to do that, that job, and I think that's why we usually go to a place where we're starting doing that. When we, we sang that song as we were marching, when we got there, people stopped. And people stopped everything they were doing. They looked at, who are these guys? And, and we kept on singing. We did an opening prayer. We had a sermonette. We had a moment of praying for the city. And the entire city was quiet. I asked, who are you guys? You cannot hide your light under the bush, under the bed. And your light is who you are. Sometimes you don't need to say anything, but be there. And that will count. There's a young man right now who's walking from Alabama to Minneapolis in support of George. Now put yourself, that's your brother. You say he's lost his mind. If, if you're the parent, he needs to go to a rehab. But that guy is walking all those miles in support of George Floyd. And he'll be here, I think, later sometime this week. And people are meeting him just to appreciate what he's done. That's his own style. I'm not walking. I, don't, I, I only run two miles. That's it. But that's him. But I'm a preacher. I'll preach this gospel. Like Martin Luther says. In Martin Luther's quotes words, and I finish on this, he says that the same thing Ellen White says, same principle. He said this in one of his sermons. He said that don't hate the person, but fight the system. See, Ellen White says it this way hate the sin, but love the sinner. And if we learn that our enemy is not the skin color or human being, our enemy is the system that is propagating injustices. And that's where our focus should be, not the people. Then we'll have a better world. Gentlemen, I want um, to give you an opportunity to, let's go back to the script. Just give me in a verse that, that you like in the Bible yes. that talks about or speaks about um, social justice or against social injustices. Um, for me, I'll go to Amos or Amos depending on where you come from, Amos 5 verse 15, where it says that hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. 
That means that where the laws are made, that's where justice needs to start. And we'll hate evil and we'll love good. Because where justice starts, there's already love, there's already um, crisis in it. So, and if mo- most people like go to go to, go to verse 20 where it says righteousness and justice should flow like waters. But if you go back a few verses, it says we should establish justice at the gate. We should begin with justice. Amen. That is very powerful. Thank you so much, Ken. I'll also say a verse from John chapter 17, verse 20 to 21. And it says, I pray not only for them, but also for those who believe in me because of their message. I pray that they may all be one in me and I am in you. May they be one so that the world will believe that you sent me. This is what Jesus' prayer to the disciples, he left them with this prayer, be one. Now how can we be one if we hate our brother? How can we be one if we hate our sister? One meaning we coming together, we walk together, we go to the park together, we love each other. And that's the oneness God not only wants in the church, but also in the world. So let's be one. I think I'll go with the text that we had uh, for our rally, which is Micah chapter 6, verses 8, and says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. This is what is good. You know you know how we use that, that, that statement as a cliche? What's good, man? What's good, right? The Bible says God has shown us what is good, <laughs> right? <laughs> and what does he say? And what does the Lord require of you? He says to act justly. That's an action, to act. You don't to be, it's to act justly. To love, which Kefa has repeatedly hammered home, love, 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 and to walk, to love, I mean, to, to act justly and love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And I think people neglect that last statement, with your God. Listen, sometimes we make this just about me. There is no one who's justice. There is no one who knows how to love mercy. There is no one who knows how to walk humbly. Every human being is proud. (laughs) Let's be honest about that. But that statement is where it nails it home. With your God. When you learn to do that with your God, then it will be easy for you to do it with a human being. Most people want justice, but they don't walk justly, act justly with God. They want to love mercy, but they don't even show God mercy. (laughs) And it's not that God wants it. But if you learn that aspect with you and your God, it will be natural to transform it with your fellow human being. So in this verse, anyone who's listening, don't miss the last three words. With your God. Then you will know what justice looks like in every situation you are in. Walk, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I believe it's safe to say that there are a lot of core social issues that we as a church and as individuals can take part in. You know, there's immigration stuff. There is a lot of police reform. There is myriad of things that the church and we as individuals can go. And maybe we can uh, take that as a part two of, of the next uh, show. But I want to leave you with this. That if we as a people do not demonstrate Christ-like love, the world will not know that we are his disciples. If we don't show that love, We've talked about love here. If we don't demonstrate it, 
the church or the world will not know that we are Christians. And reach out to your church leaders. Reach out to Ezra. Uh, we'll, we'll leave this email and contact information for, for you. If you have anything that you want to uh, talk about, address, um, there is there's avenues for us to do that as we've seen in the in the rally and i know pastor ezra is working on a documentary uh to document uh the journey uh right up towards uh, up until the rally so we would also look forward to that and we want to thank you for your ministry thank you for the church that you serve they are really blessed and we want to pray that god will continue to sustain you to guide you to protect you and your family as you continue in this walk. Um, any final words? Thank you so much. I think that um, when all is said and done, the words that come to mind is when the disciples had gone out and had done all this good work, and then they came back rejoicing. Then God said, rejoice not. Rejoice only for your name. Names are written in the book of life. If we do all these and then we miss the kingdom, this is a good show on earth. The people who put rallies, but man, you want to be part of them. But then you know what makes it different is when crisis is the heart and the center of it. What I'll say to young people and anyone listening is this. Number one, uh, there's a lot of avenues out there. Find your niche. Pray to God to show you who you are and what you can do best. Um, there's plenty of programs. There's, I've been approached with some cities that need young people to serve uh, in, in some of those committees. If you want to be part of those, let me know. Forward your names. Uh, be involved in your community. Be part of your community. Because Jesus had to come on earth. So who are you to sit at home, play PlayStation, or watch whatever, and then think that you know what's going on based on Twitter and uh, Instagram and everything? That, that's a lie. Be out there. Find at least a week, every week, two hours to volunteer. Give back to your community. Do some good. And uh, God will bless you with all that. So thank you for having me, guys, here, gentlemen. I really do appreciate this. I am excited about the journey that we have begun. And I hope that we will not be protesting anytime soon in the streets because we'll be in the streets of heaven where we'll just sit and sing the entire time. Final words, Kef, as you finish with the word of prayer. I will say that uh, we've talked a lot of things today. But the main thing we need to just come back home is that God is in the center of everything. Uh, and yes, you may be angry about what's going on. You may be angry of the racial injustice. You may be furious, wanting to hurt someone because of what you see on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, like Pastor Ezra said. But what remains true is that what can you do in, in society? How can you provide value to your family, your friends, your loved ones? Stop looking at the whole picture. Focus on yourself at this time. Because at this time, you need to walk this walk of faith until the very end. And even to those who don't know Christ, it's high time that you realize that life is not what it seems. Because at the end of the day, you have to take it one day at a time. You can't change everything all at once. You have to just ask God or even just seek for that guidance so you can know how to move forward. Because we all need guidance. I don't know it all, Ezra. Yeah, I know for sure you don't know it all. But we know that we can keep on learning and growing in Christ, in truth, in life. So with that, I'm going to pray. 
and I'm going to close off this podcast. Dear Father in Heaven, we thank you for the Amazing Truth podcast. We thank you for the life you've given us, the breath of life. We thank you for the words that you've given us. May these words not just be idle, but may it transform somebody's life. May it be a spring of life to somebody. May they realize how far they have gone and where they need to go to greener pastures. Dear Father, lead us, protect us, and whatever we have said, if we have said anything that goes against your will, forgive us, pardon us, O Lord. But at the end of the day, may your name be glorified. We pray all this trusting and believing 